Welcome to The Paulist. Today is August 1st, uh, 2016. This is Monday, so this is our Monday Marvel comic. And um, I'm Tuply on Twitter at T-W-O-P-L-A-I or Tuply at gmail.com. Uh, this is a daily comics analysis podcast. We pick a comic, we try to look at it analytically from a number of different lenses, um, informed by comic studies, and I am an academic, a teacher, a researcher, and um, a father and a friend in <laughs> many things. Uh, we are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, um, you name it, and um, would love to hear from you. Love to get some feedback from you. Thanks for listening. On Mondays, as I said, we talk about the Monday Marvel, where we talk about a, a, a Monday comic, a Marvel comic. And um, our topic today is the totally awesome Hulk number nine, written by Greg Pak and art by Mike Del Mundo. Um, and as when we talk, we're going to talk about the totally awesome Hulk today, and we're going to um, think a little bit about um, the, <laughs> the artistic stylings of Mike Del Mundo as they convey the emotion that is involved in this issue of the totally awesome Hulk. Um, and uh, just to um, Spoiler warning, I'm going to spoil things that are in this issue. I'm also going to spoil things that are going on in Civil War II. Um, and so if you haven't read up through Civil War II, number three, and all that's going on in Marvel right now, um, there will be spoilers. And I'll try to, um, I'll talk about the book a little bit pre-spoilers, and then I'll give the official, you know, spoiler alert um, here now is the Rubicon. Um, <laughs> we're going to cross into spoiler territory. First off, a note, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you've been following the, the podcast, um, I apologize also for the still warbly <laughs> sound quality. Um, I am once, once again, I'm still learning. Uh, uh, the, the circumstances of my recording aren't ideal. I understand how a microphone works. I have a pretty decent microphone for podcasting, actually. It's a, one of the only things I got for 50 bucks, you know, when it was super cheap. So it's a pretty high quality mic. The problem is I'm often podcasting late at night um, after I've spent all day working and um, writing and my family taking care of my family and they're off to bed and I get this uh you know and I'm laying down as if I'm going to go to sleep and then I just get the the impulse to get up and talk about comics that I'm reading and then I get up and record and often my family's in the next room don't want to wake them up and so I have to get real close to the mic and uh anyway for, forgive me for that the sound quality I feel bad for the um the the artists and the and you know and the scholars and stuff like that whose work I'm trying to pay respect to meanwhile um doing so in such a um uh bargain basement kind of sound <laughs> so I'm actually going to to um record this on my iPhone and see how it goes and uh, see if it sounds a little bit better for me to use the um the uh, I calling an iPhone a low tech version is is ridiculous but anyway um so uh and then one more thing. Uh, basically, I've said this in some previous episodes, but I'm planning to take a break pretty soon. Um, what I'm going to do is today's Monday Marvel's Totally Awesome Hulk number nine. On Tuesday, I'm going to talk about the Tuesday Trade Paperback, where I'll cover Shutter Volume 4 from Image Comics. And then on Wednesday, I'm really excited to talk about a comic book from Titan Comics um, that's that has debuted, uh, or is debuting, sorry, on Wednesday, which is Mycroft number one, about Mycroft Holmes, who is the older brother of Sherlock Holmes. And uh, this comic from Titan is written by none other than uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 
uh, formerly Lou Alcindor, NBA scoring, um, you know, uh, scoring champion of all time, and recent speaker at the Democratic National Convention, actually. Um, it's just such an interesting thing that Mr. Abdul-Jabbar is writing a Mycroft Holmes comic that I just can't resist talking about it. So that'll be Wednesday. Um, on Thursday, we do the Thursday throwback, and I'm going to talk Schultz. I'm going to talk Peanuts. I'm going to talk about the Peanuts artist edition of um, that features original art um, by Charles Schultz from the beginning of the, the his 50-year run on Peanuts. And then Friday, um, the Friday Family Graphic Novel, I'm excited to discuss March Volume 3, which will be out this week. And... Um, of course, Congressman John Lewis's autobiographical comic um, with um, assists from Andrew Aiden and Nate Powell. Um, the March series um, has been uh, rightfully winning all kinds of awards and acknowledgement. More than that, I think for myself and for many people, um, it embodies what we hope most comics can do, and um, and that is to stir um, imaginations and hearts toward um, you know engagement with the world that is meaningful, that is. Um, positive that is toward um, toward equity and justice and um, John Lewis has been a hero of mine since you know long before this comic um, I was um, you know there on the very first day that March volume one came out and March volume two came out I've been able to um, have the privilege of retracing some of the steps of Mr. Lewis and others in the civil rights movement um, as I you know had a chance to tour the south and to visit um, significant civil rights sites and um, and anyway I'll talk a little bit about that on Friday in the Friday find uh, sorry fi Friday family graphic novel we've changed it it's no longer the Friday find um, but uh, and, and I know I'm, I realize I'm getting past five minutes here but um, uh, after that I'm going to take a break and you know I, it seems like it looks like um, doing this daily podcast I'm getting a, a handful of downloads every day and that's exciting and it's also been nice to get some uh, retweets and, and, sh and brief messages from creators and from uh, a, a couple of people who've listened and stuff like that. Um, at that point, though, off after Friday, I'm going to take a break uh, for personal reasons and then uh, evaluate and see if we're back. And if we are back, we'll come back around um, mid to late August and resume daily podcasting. I think there's something to the discipline of the daily podcast that, you know, is kind of fundamental to the premise of this thing. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if it's going to pick up steam or if I'm just going to utterly lose listeners in the time, in the in the intervening time. Um, I know that there's things I need to work on. I definitely need to work on the, the quality and the um, precision of what I'm talking about. I think yesterday I forgot, uh, uh, two days ago actually, I said that the last Batgirl run was written by... Um, uh, Brendan Fletcher and Cameron McCarthy. Um, that's ridiculous. It's Cameron Stewart. I have a work of Cameron Stewart original art on my wall, so it's preposterous that I forgot uh, his name. Uh, so anyway, I do this on the fly. That's the only way I can make it daily. Um, this is just thoughts off the top of my head, rarely with notes. Um, but there is something to the daily discipline of thinking, I think, in a cross-cutting way about comics, which is what I'm trying to do, that um, if you are listening and if I'm... Um, you know, if I'm producing this, um, you know, it might be worthwhile. And I hope that it's a mutually beneficial educative effort. Um, and I'm called to apply because of various reasons that I explain in the What is the Paul List um, episode. But uh, one of them is that I really believe in the power of dialogue. And I try to be, that's why I try to be dialogical in, um, in terms of bringing in 
other insights and other voices, um, not literally other voices, but um, you know the the knowledge and the the um, approaches of others as I read comics. So this is a lot of it is off the cuff and and from my gut, but a lot of it is informed by other people that I read and and hear from and stuff like that. Um, but I, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear that uh, you're enjoying this, that you've um, derived some benefit from it. Please leave me a review on iTunes or send me a comment, uh, and that will all be determinative in whether I continue this thing. Um, it will tell me that this is worth putting out into the world. Um, and of course, you know, I mean, I'm the kind of person who, um, somebody I know who is an artist, uh, when he was a kid, used to... Um, be really proud of his art and want people to love it, but was very afraid f- to to advertise and market it. So he used to knock on people's doors. And then, uh, this is a, a very cute little kid story, but he just, you know, go here. And he'd hand them the drawing and sort of run away <laughs> before they had a chance to say anything. And I feel a little bit like that's how we feel about doing this. I, I, I'm not aggressively marketing it besides tweeting things out occasionally so i don't know what else there is to do um but it, look if you like this would you please um let people know would you please um you know however you do word of mouth and i really don't need a huge reaction i just need to know that somebody's listening and then i'll continue all right this is uh therapeutic for me it's exciting for me um it's 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 a chance for me to to exercise some <laughs> energies that i have um and, uh, you know, I think that there's, um, in, in many of us who are fans or geeks or nerds or whatever, who, um, who read uh, and or watch, uh, consume media, there's um, something in us that also wants to produce. Um, we, we only ingest so much without needing to, um, to expel, <laughs> let's say, or, or create, or let, that's probably more pleasant to think about. Um, and, and so, at some point, there's some side of us that, um, you know, admires, um, you know, creators, admires uh, creative people. Um, and then and then part of us wants to speak, you know, we, we, we hear, we take in all kinds of voices. And then part of us just feels this human impulse to, um, to respond in kind. And what happens, I think, is that there's this affection and longing to exist, to be seen, to, to belong uh, among the voices of people who you are consuming and digesting. Um, and that longing can be overwhelming sometimes, and, and sometimes it's incredibly satisfying. Um, uh, by, by the way, I'm not sort of just rambling. This is all related to Totally Awesome Hulk number nine. <laughs> but um, I remember as a kid, um, I, I immigrated a lot as a kid back and forth. Um, and so I was always playing catch up in terms of language, always trying to um, uh, catch on uh, to what everybody else seemed to already know in terms of how to speak, what's cool, what to wear, how to act. Um, moving back and forth between two, two different countries, I was sort of always out of sorts in the early years of my, my life. And uh, very quickly though, I became desperate. It, it um, bubbled up. Uh, you can psychoanalyze me as to why somebody would, uh, with such a busy life would devote um, so much time every day doing a comics podcast (laughs) but you know this desire to uh, after spending so much time watching and listening and and picking trying to pick up and understand the social world around me it would just bubble up into a a strong desire to 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 exist to be present to be heard Um, and not heard because I wanted to be exceptional but but heard because I wanted to understand and hear back that I was not a weirdo that I was not lost that I was um normal 
Um, and you know, I don't know how many immigrant kids feel this impulse. It's probably in some sense, a universal, not exclusive to immigrants kind of thing. Um, but I do think that it is also a part of being an immigrant kid and also a part of being in some sense of, uh, you know, in, in, in some way, a part of a marginalized, um, population, um, here in the United States, you're, you're constantly being sent messages that anybody can be a hero and yet you're bombarded with images, um, especially, you know, in maybe the generation that I grew up and, and previous to it. Um, no, that's, that's not fair. Always <laughs> you're bombarded with images that tell you that this is the normal. And if you're not the normal, you, um, you're going to struggle with your sense of, of, um, your, your personhood or your sense of your, um, your belonging. All right. And I say all this uh, because Totally Awesome Hulk is about the Hulk. <laughs> and the Hulk has always been a character that has um, investigated, has explored, has unearthed the question of what happens if you are a monster. What if you have some monstrous part of you, this thing that you can barely contain? within yourself, you know, the um, Jekyll and Hyde, that is some true nature that um, all of your politeness and all of your, um, you know, uh, adoption of social niceties cannot contain or box up. And what if that strangeness in you comes out and reaps destruction around you and you struggle with controlling that, you struggle with the ability to, to, um, to maintain in the midst of that. Bruce Banner Hulk has always kind of been about that, you know, the beast within and, um, you know, fitting that he's green, fitting that he's um, immeasurably strong, fitting that he's a, a monstrosity and terrible. And, uh, and I think the, um, uh, the, the Hulk, um, whether you're talking about the Herb Trimpey Hulk or, you know, even the, the um, earlier days of Greg Pak have always explored the emotional um, valences of, of that experience of being, um, trying to maintain the mild mannered Bruce Banner, um, and really finding that in, within you, there's a, a, a monster. Um, and of course, like all superhero, uh, narratives, there's parallels to be, to be felt, um, in, in all walks of life, but I think especially for people who, um, in some senses are betrayed by the color of their skin. Um, and I know that as a as a Asian American growing up, uh, probably most people don't think of an Asian American as containing a beast within. That's uh, counter to the stereotype of docile um, Asian Americans. But that's actually precisely um, some of the the conflict is being told that you are supposed to be these things, you know. You are supposed to be high achieving. You're supposed to be in school. You're supposed to be good at math. You're supposed to be non-athletic, whatever. And then having, but then you know, constantly a selfhood that's created by being inundated with voices that um, call out to you, that speak to you in some sense that you are something else, that you are something more. Um, my man, you know, my my manifestation of it is different from everybody else's. You know, I have I have um, uh, gay Asian American male friends who um, their their sexuality was constantly um, something aberrant. Um, it, it, you know, it, the messaging around them was that that was aberrant and your desire is 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 false or wrong. You know, others who, um, 
who were um, athletic and constantly told that, you know, you're in the wrong sport, you're not supposed to be playing football because that's not an Asian American sport. Um, and of course, the, <laughs> the, the things that you go through, whether, you know, uh, when, you're, when you belong to other ethnic groups or, or um, other um, things that you are marginalized for, other identity things that you are, um, uh, you know, pegged, that you are pegged as something against your um, your own sense of who you are. Um, in my case, I was an English major, <laughs> and um, and being a I think a literary person and being a I remember being um, in 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 classes in Berkeley uh, English classes, and there were you know 120 people around me, um, all probably all other English majors, and maybe two Asian American males beside me, um, at least at the time that I was in school. And that, and that was a, a weird feeling in a campus where <laughs> there were so many Asian American males in other departments. Um, but, you know, in, in other senses too, I, it's something that I struggle with and feel. All right, and all this is prologue <laughs> to, um, to Civil War II, Totally Awesome Hulk, number nine, because what's gone on, uh, and thank you for bearing this long, if you've been listening and waiting for me to actually talk about the comic, is that um, Korean-American writer Greg Pak um, has, you know, introduced the character Amadeus Cho years ago. And Amadeus Cho is a Korean-American character um, who uh, is a genius, you know, like he keeps citing that he's somehow ranked the eighth smartest person in the world. He's a 19-year-old. He, um, and, you know, I think intentionally counter to the stereotype, he's a brash, arrogant kid, you know. Um, you know, I think it's important for Asian-American creators who are um, creating Asian American voices to show that Asian American uh, people <laughs> are all kinds of people. And we know folks among us who are dumb at math. And we know folks among us who are, you know, uber athletic and have crazy hops and can and can ball. <laughs> you know, we know um, Asian American um, guys who are not humble. <laughs> Humility is not... Um, uh, a, a label we would attach to them. And I think Amadeus Cho, that's why I, I've, I've enjoyed the character because he's smart and, and he's not humble about it. Um, he's smart and he's not uh, lacking ambition or, or um, you know, uh, comfortable under his own glass ceiling. Um, and so the Totally Awesome Hulk was, I think, a, a kind of, you know, counter-stereotype move where Amadeus Cho grabbed the mantle of the Hulk um, the prior uh, arcs in this series, uh, this is issue nine, so we've had sort of, I think, kind of two and a half arcs, I think. It's been, it's not not the sort of standard four to five issue arcs that, that have gone on with this this book. But um, but it, it's revealed the backstory of how Amadeus Cho has sort of, how sort of, he, he not only, he didn't, it just sort of didn't fall on him to become Hulk. He took it on himself. And I think that kind of, um, uh, you could call it naked ambition, or you could call it um, not being, not shying from the limelight, is an important move on Greg Pak's part to say, look, there is a certain stereotype expectation of, oh, the you Asian Americans are, you know, so humble. <laughs> you never will, um, you know, speak speak up for yourself or speak highly for yourself. And, uh, and Amadeus Cho <laughs> will speak highly of himself. The very first page of this book has him flexing in, um, you know, I don't know, surfer shorts or something, uh, talking about how cute uh, the, the, the TV is talking about how cute he is. And, and uh, he's there on the news um, flexing. And I love that. Um, Greg Pak has written a Hulk, uh, an Asian-American 
hero fig- uh, figure um, that um, is himself first and not all the things that an Asian American person supposedly is because of their heritage or whatever. Uh, that's cool. Um, the book uh, was sort of uh, initially had Frank Cho as the artist, um, you know, makes sense because he also is Korean American. He has a, you know, appealing style. Um, and he drew Hulk, uh, Frank Cho could be said to be an artist who, um, knows the gift and the art of exaggeration. And he does so <laughs> in various ways, but he definitely does so with Hulk and, and it's, uh, it was pleasing to the eye. <laughs> and then after Frank Cho, uh, there was, um, Oh, shoot, I'm blanking on the name of the artist for the maybe the fifth and sixth issue, uh, something like that. Um, And then actually preceding this issue, um, uh, seven and eight was drawn by Alan Davis. And man, that was a throwback. Uh, It was fitting because Bruce Banner came back. um, It was a sort of a Bruce Banner, Amadeus Cho story. Um, Very, very touching, actually, Um, in the sense that, um, you know, it was clear that Pac and company want, you know, didn't want to just ditch Banner. And, you know, with all of the sort of replacement heroes that have been going on with Marvel, there's been appropriate homages to, you know, your original Steve Rogers or your um, Odinson Thor or whatever. So, you know, they definitely want to send the message loud and clear that, hey, just because we've got um, women and people of color, you know, taking the positions, we aren't uh, throwing out your old heroes. Fear not. This is not my Captain America fan. <laughs> um, and, you know, and so Banner got a lot of respect. Um, I think very warmly um, saluted by Cho, by Amadeus Cho and um, by characters in the previous run. Uh, uh, sorry, the previous couple issues. And, of course, you know, the art by Alan Davis. Um, which brings me to this issue. So here, here will be this... Spoilers coming up, but I, I'll just say before I get into the spoilers that um, now we have the Civil War II tie-in where the events of Civil War II are actually coming to, to sh- you know, are showing up in, in Totally Awesome Hulk. And, uh, and I think it's an emotionally driven uh, issue, less by plot or fun or whatever other things have driven Hulk but much more by the pathos, uh, much more by some of those tensions and, and conflicts that are psychological and emotional that I was mentioning before. Um, the questions of, of um, what is it to be feared, to, be not ex- to, to not um, have the expectation or, or to have people not expect you to be who you are, to um, carry around with um, defiant brashness the things that they don't expect you to be or the things that they fear you to be. Um, that's, I think, what the, the issue speaks to. Um, and I think importantly, you know, with us, this sort of rotation or, or, or um, you know, lineup of artists that they've been bringing aboard to illustrate this book, importantly, Mike Del Mundo um, is, is the artist on this issue. Now, if you don't know Mike Del Mundo's work, um, I came to know it from his Electra art in the pre- previously. He's been on a lot of covers, and you can tell why because he has this the kind of art that um, doesn't just do good storytelling in sequentials, but um, does really elegant. Um, you know, it's it's kind of it's very painter painterly. Um, it's uh, very very kind of washed out colors, but but washed out colors done very effectively. Um, he does a lot of things with mists and you can tell that there's, that there's a mistiness and a sort of, um, light splattered sense. And, um, 
uh, I don't know. I, I, who do I compare Mike Del Mondo to? Um, imagine, I think the 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 sort of um, the sort of sharp design aesthetic of a Jay Lee with a um, painterly style of um, who's a painter who does this kind of work. Hmm. I don't know. My references are failing me, um, but it sort of has to be seen to to be fully appreciated. And so. Um, so I just, before I get into the spoilers of how this is so, I think Mike Del Mundo is the perfect choice for this issue. It's an issue where um, Amadeus Cho is dealing with the emotional fallout of not just himself, but of, um, of, of Banner, almost in a sense dealing with the, um, the history of who Hulks have been and being confronted with the feelings that people have, the fear that people have of who Hulks have been. And, um, and so there's emotional depth and range to the issue that um, somebody like Mike Del Mundo and his talents can, can um, exploit. Um, because I think that his style, this kind of, um, I keep saying painterliness, but um, it's, I think, those sorts of media, whether, I, I don't know if Mike Del Mundo works digitally or what. I'm going to guess that he does, but, um, but it's the kind of, kind of digital that doesn't, you know, that you can do nowadays where it's, it doesn't, like, scream that it's digital. Um, probably that it's digitally enhanced, but if there's, um, you know, non-digital media at some point in here, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but he, he kind of works uh, with a kind of painterly style that every image is um, laden with a kind of emotion, uh, laden with a dreamy, a dreamlike mist that seems to speak to parts of us that um, are... I think are best understood through um, <laughs> a, a psychological analysis, uh, dreams, I don't know, <laughs> Freud, uh, Lacan, I don't know. Uh, and, and, um, and because everything is sort of um, sun-stained or, or um, smoke-dappled or whatever it is, there is um, a quality about the art that, um, that the mystique or the um or the the fog of emotion of affect seems to cover every interaction and i think that's a really interesting thing i mean it's a it's a it's a contrast and, and not, not that one is better or worse um but it's a contrast to frank cho who is a, a cartoonist through and through you know um uh uh mike del mundo drawing Amadeus Cho, and Amadeus Cho seems like a cartoonist's character, you know, he's full of funny expressions, and uh, snarky remarks, and, you know, quippy back and forth with his his uh, sister, uh, Maddie, who was an important character in the series, but um, what Mike Del Mundo uh, does is has the liveliness of that character, of that Amadeus Cho character, but because of his style, um, never removes us from the um, emotional core that he's trying to get at. Um, so, yeah, when I was trying to think of a painter, I don't know why I didn't just say Alex Ross. I mean, I think there's an Alex Ross painterly style, but with a sort of um, Jay Lee exaggerated, um, awesome um, cartoonist level. 
All right. <laughs> Once again, why am I doing a word podcast, a oral podcast about a visual medium? I don't know. Um, okay. So I, I want to get into some of the detail just for a few minutes. So I'm going to say this is your, your full-on spoiler warning. So if you don't want to be spoiled on details of plot, um, you can turn it off now and come back tomorrow. Uh, but um, so Civil War II, the, the proceedings of Civil War II in issue three, um, you know, I, the big... Uh, you know, reveal was that um, Bruce Banner um, was was killed by Clint Barton Hawkeye, um, killed because he um, he uh, was predicted by Ulysses, this inhuman character, to you know wreak utter um, destruction and to kill many in a rampage, and that prediction, um, despite the fact that. As the storyline is right now, Amadeus Cho has not only taken on the Hulk's powers, but removed them from Bruce Banner, um, which was kind of the plot of the preceding couple issues. Um, by the magic of podcasting, it's been 10 minutes since that last sentence, but because <laughs> my my daughter came home. So, um, all right. But and yet here I am. So, um, yeah, so. Bruce Banner's been killed, um, and it's all wrapped up in the turmoil that is Civil War II, on, of, you know, and involved in the question, questions of, you know, whatever, a police state, whether you can predictively, um, you know, stop and prevent uh, crime and tragedies if doing so becomes too great a violation of um, our, our, our humanity or or um, too dangerous a, a power to, to wield, and so on. All right, so those are the Civil, Civil War II questions. But um, I think pertinent to the book, Banner dies, right? And so what you see in this issue is the fallout for Amadeus Cho of his hero, his predecessor, his mentor um, being killed by um, the Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, police state. <laughs> and um, so in the opening uh, page, of course, there is the media talking about whether, you know, Hulk is a monster or a hero. You know, as I said, we've kind of talked about that. And, and whether or not um, killing Bruce Banner and his potential beastliness, his poten- potential monstrosity is a heroic thing or not. Um, and then there's some contemplation of the, the current Hulk. But uh, very soon we get this scene of um, Maddie, his sister, bringing noodles, which made me hungry, uh, to Amadeus. And Amadeus is curled up in bed staring at his phone in an image that we all probably are all too aware of, whether in reflection of ourselves or our loved ones if we've, as we've all disappeared into our cell phones. But there's a, a thing of his curled up state in bed and the way that um, Maddie sits positioning herself in relation to him that I think um, Del Mundo has, uh, and also just the green in the wall of the room and the green in the pillow, there's just um, an emotional core of the feeling of loss that Cho is going through and the way that um, his sister is trying to, you know, sort of wend her way around being a supportive figure that I think is marvelously done artistically and, and also in terms of storytelling. Um, because I think that the core emotion of Amadeus at this moment is critical. And that core emotion being a kind of loss, a kind of, mm, you know, he looks troubled. And he's, he's, he's rightly troubled, not just because his mentor has died, but because some wrangling with this question of who he is, the, the mantle that he's taken on is now um, 
you know, at, at, at question, you know, some, some, uh, you know, is the Hulk, is a Hulk acceptable in our world? Especially a world that is trying to anticipate and prevent all possibility, you know, secure us from all possibility of, of risk. Is a Hulk um, unacceptable to human beings? And, you know, with the intellect that Cho has, there's no way that he is, he's an emotional character for sure, but there's no way that he's, you know, oversimplifying it. I, I read into the, his furrowed brow really all manner of contemplation. And for somebody as you know, eighth smartest person in the world, he's probably circulating in his mind every possibility while still emotionally having to um, have a, you know, maintain a sense of who he is. And I feel like this issue is an, is an outworking of him saying, in the face of all of this talk, there is this core of who I am, and this is it. And that's what I love about the issue. Um, at the end of the um, two pages that, um, uh, Maddie is attending to, to, to Amadeus and trying to, uh, you know, trying to say, you, you know, you shouldn't feel this, you should feel this, trying to sympathize. <laughs> I honestly sympathize a little bit with Cho and sometimes, you know, you, you feel a lot of things, but you're thinking everything. And somebody comes in and tries to give you quote unquote perspective and you sort of feel like, look, it's not perspective that I need. I can see every perspective. You know, uh, she says, uh, you know, she's, she's trying to stop him and talk him through it. And she's like, wait a minute. And he says, all r- it's all right. I know it's not my fault. And then he looks out the window and he says, it's theirs. And I, and I think this is a marvelous move because I think the tendency is that, um, you know, you paint a character as internalizing everything or projecting everything that all we can do emotionally in the face of um, of tragedy or loss is to either blame ourselves or to blame and accuse the rest of the world. Um, and I think um, I may be overstretching here, and I'm not necessarily saying that, saying that this is something that Greg Pak is saying, but I think it's part of the disease of Western philosophy uh, to atomize and individualize um, us as human beings that we always think that it's this either-or binary between you're blaming the world or you're blaming yourself. In fact, I think, um, at least I personally consider this a kind of cultural regularity, not a constant, not like all Asian people are born with the genetic predisposition to um, think collectively or something like that. But, but I think it is an aspect that is learned in many Asian cultures that you don't um, dissect or bisect things that way, that it's either my fault or it's or something wrong with the rest of the world. You can take the rest of the world's wounds and internalize them as a sense of being part of a collective. And so when Amadeus Cho is mad at the world, that doesn't mean that he is utterly uh, devoid of any internal questioning. Um, that doesn't mean that he, he isn't, um, you know, he, he's sort of just um, angrily blaming the rest of the world that he doesn't at the same time ask those questions of what does what does my um monstrosity have to do with this you know uh i i feel like he's probably calculating he, he's calculating the world he's calculating possible futures as well as calculating himself you know this book you know um, his sister's always monitoring his, you know, gamma levels or in his epinephrine or whatever, and that comes up again at the end of this issue. But that monitoring is the trying to calculate the incontrollable that is within him. And, um, and I think so much of his arrogance 
Um, but maybe the arrogance that I love about him as a character is him saying, I know, you know, I know I'm always calculating those very same levels, in a sense, taking a measure of myself, right? And so Carol Danvers and uh, this army of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents or whatever come and they confront him and this confrontation is marvelous. And, you know, I think Mike Del Mundo, again, has this way of, of having all of that mm, almost dreamlike realism, I'm going to say, that you would attribute to painterly styles like Alex Ross, but also having the kind of abstract emotion that a Jay Lee hyper-designed, hyper-stylized artistic um, sense would also give you. And you need that kind of hyper-stylized sense to, um, to really exploit the emotion that is in an Amadeus Cho shrug or in a um, Carol Danvers assertion of this is what, from my authority, I have to say. And, um, you know, they're back and forth. Um, his, uh, his, again, you know, reasserting, I know, I understand, I get it. You know, up here I know, but here it's a little harder. And you re realize that it's not that he needs to receive perspective about the potential risks of the monster inside him. It's that he has to emotionally reconcile to something. He has to emotional, emotionally reconcile to the fear that that provokes, right? And even the, his sort of mocking that panel where his hand, his two hands are up. He says, I'm 19 years old. I'm young and confused. Sort of sarcastically, um, you know, voicing, <laughs> parroting the fears that people would have about him wielding this much power. And then um, that panel, the, actually the few panels where, you know, there, you can see him emotionally going through all of this. He says, Carol, if I were to go crazy, what makes you think you could stop me? And in a way, he is um, voicing, you know, what you must be afraid of, Carol Danvers, and really what I'm also afraid of. But I know, but know that I know that that is the fear that we share. And then there's a series of panels where they're looking at each other and there's a smirk. Uh, and that smirk where their faces are split and it's you know, looks like the same face is so powerful because it kind of speaks to, look, I know you're trying to manage me because I am power out of control. I am power in control with the risk of going out of control. But that's exactly the problem with you, right? We share the same problem, though, on opposite sides of this conflict, that you are wielding a power that you think you must wield, you feel a responsibility and you feel a command over, but everybody is questioning, can you handle that power? And, and, and you know, can you handle that monster? You know, for, for Amadeus Cho, it's the Hulk. And then for, for Carol Danvers, it's, um, it's this authority that she has. Uh, and then you see that they see each other and then they part. And I think that is so so good <laughs> nice work greg pock um and then there's this awesome scene afterwards where maddie's like that's so dumb and smacks him on the head and you know really chiding him for for the outsider's point of view of you're so dumb you're so arrogant what are you doing but um he is in a sense content um that contentment is exactly what angers people around you but he's so content because he knows within himself that um he is wrestling with all of the questions 
uh, and then eating a giant bite of noodles, which again, um, makes me really hungry. <laughs> um, the closing, you know, act of this issue where Cho Hulk Chulk makes the statement, uh, of, you know, sort of, you know, carving into a mountain, his assertion that to me is is the sum up of the issue of the emotional core, which is that, yes, there is a monster. Yes, it has potential to be out of control. Yes, I know it's frightening and terrifying. And yes, I am a, an eminently competent person and you have a lot of reason to, um, to fear this much power in somebody's hands, this much talent and ability in somebody's hands. Um, but I want you to know that I will not, um, I will not uh, disappear it. I will not, you know, um, pour water on these flames. This is who I am. And um, yes, there's a risk, but, uh, but I'm in control. I want you to know that. You know, gamma levels, normal. Epinephrine, normal. We need to just back off a bit, <laughs> says Captain Marvel. And, um, and I think as a person of color in the United States, where um, we want to understand each other, but, but, but then we wind up pegging each other all the time. Um, we, you know, part of allowing people to be human beings is that we, that involves allowing people to have all of the potential that they might have including all of the resources and gifts of their of their difference and their their heritage or their uniquenesses while living with the potential fear of what that might mean of what that might cost of what that might um what that might ignite but you live with that because that's what you do with a human being right as human beings we all have enormous potential to destroy but that same within that same potential also lives the possibility to be heroic, um, you know. And and so, what does that mean? I mean, I that does not mean that we allow ourselves to arm ourselves with ridiculous weaponry. That's certainly not the political statement that I'm making. <laughs> I think I think what it means is that uh, for me and and I'm, I'm I think what this story is touching on, what it means is that we. Um, recognize the emotional process that's involved that's more complex than I'm not what you think I am and I am what you think I am um, in fact it is the, um, the, the emotionally complex process of, of wrapping our minds around the potential of who we could be um, that is important and I think that is something that is um, constricted in our society when questions of representation are constantly bombarding us when um the you know erecting and dismantling of our heroes um before our eyes is constantly occurring i think part of what cho is dealing with cho the character is dealing with in this issue is um is his heroes being taken down and not the just the cold fact of of Banner being dead, but of the whole structure, the whole edifice of heroism in turmoil. Um, I, I, um, I have to admit, I'm a fan of Matt Damon. I loved, um, I loved uh, Goodwill Hunting. Um, I loved the fact that he did the audio book of Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States, you know? I loved that he spoke up for a lot of causes. Um, 
recently Constance Wu calling him out um, in the media because of this Great Wall film where he is, you know, again, the white hero, the last samurai, whatever, the um, the, the white savior of um, the uh, unnamed Asian masses. Um, that tired trope um, is, an, is another example of how, you know, when you are, again, part of a marginalized group, you again and again have to have to go back and forth in our contemporary society with there's great potential and possibility here and we are not afraid to stand up and take that take the throne and then once again being reminded that (laughs) hey don't forget don't forget iron fist is white all right don't you forget you know and i think people who want to come alongside and say they're there um are well-intentioned and i get it but um, and that, but just that the process of your own heroes, the people that you want to identify with being on your side, always potentially betraying you because it's complicated. That um, is something that um, we, we must come to terms with. We have to come to terms with that we must, um, you know, those are waves that we have to ride in the, um, in the modern cultural sea and that's that's tough that's tough and um, it's also a chance that we can um, you know rise up and show our true colors so um, I like this issue I like the questions that it brings to it I'm not sure that everything I'm reading into it is is there (laughs) is um, this is maybe the um, my my over extrapolating or my um, intentional fallacy of thinking that this is what Greg Pak is about, but um, I just think the fit. Uh, I guess my main point is that the fit of what what questions he seems to be asking and what um, Mike Del Mundo is able to convey artistically is um, is awesome, is brilliant. Uh, and then the very last page. Oh man, I'm not gonna say what it is, but if you've seen it, uh, I I'm excited. I'm excited to see what what comes of that. So um, that's it. This has been Totally Awesome Hulk number nine, written by um, Greg Pak, art by Mike Del Mundo uh, from Marvel Comics, obviously. Tomorrow, join us for our Tuesday trade paperback. I'll talk about Shudder, volume four, um, Leila Del Duca and Joe Keating, and uh, keep reading.